Good singing. You may be seated. How many of you have never sung that song? You just did. It's like a bunch of seniors in here or something. Short memories. Uh, good to see everybody tonight. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to speak the next couple of Sunday nights. Um, the Lord has uh, been good to me this week, giving me some new tools to help me stand and walk. And uh, the VA has been uh, very, very supportive and helpful with uh, issues that I've been experiencing. So I'm just glad to be standing up here tonight. If I start running around a little bit, don't be surprised. We're going to read uh, the first 17 verses here, but I want you just to be reminded that this is the Apostle Paul writing to, to Timothy. Paul, at the time of the writing of this uh, letter, was in prison, and he knew that the end of his life was, was coming near. Um, Timothy, as you, you read both of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, was experiencing some difficulty. In fact, you know, how would you feel, you know, with your mentor in jail? Uh, I mean, that, was, uh, that had to be a little discouraging, I would think, to, to Timothy. Uh, a lot of uh, people had dropped out of the faith, so to speak. Spiritual dropouts, in fact... It's interesting, in Second in Timothy, in each of the four chapters, Paul mentions a couple of people in each chapter that have gone away from the faith or turned away. And uh, that would be discouraging for anybody, I would think, that was in ministry. Uh, I know our pastor, I've had some conversation with him from time to time about people that left the church, and it, it's always uh, a discouragement. He understands, but it's a discouragement to him. Uh, it's in this book that uh, Timothy is admonished to take uh, uh, some medication for his stomach. So he must have been a Malox type pastor for a period of time, or enough uh, stress anyway that uh, his stomach gave him problems. And uh, the community and the culture in Timothy's day was infiltrated with evil. And uh, that's discouraging for a preacher of righteousness uh, to be working every day in an environment like that. Well, Paul writes to Timothy uh, in this book trying to encourage him in his personal walk and in his ministry as a pastor of uh, a church. In verse 1 he says, This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambers withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. We'll look at the rest of this chapter in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we look tonight to your word to be encouraged by it, to have understanding. I pray the Spirit of God would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. We need you. We trust you. And Lord, we want you to work in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to notice, first of all, in this passage, he talks about a perilous time. A perilous time would come. That perilous time would come in the last days or in the church age, the age of grace. And we know that uh, that age is a couple thousand years old now, but there would be a particular time of difficulty and danger, hardship and discouragement. And uh, Paul warns Timothy about this because uh, this difficult time as it's described here could really be so discouraging that it could cause people to turn from the faith. It could, could cause a pastor to, to uh, drop out of the ministry, so to speak. And there's a long description in here. We'll touch uh, each of these words here just briefly tonight. Uh, but the culture that he is describing here wasn't just the general culture in the world. There were people in the church like this. And... Uh, that would really be discouraging for a preacher of righteousness, wouldn't it? So the first thing I, I noticed in this passage is these people apparently had lost sight of God's purpose for them. What is God's purpose for us? I mean, as we live out our life on, on planet Earth, we're to be growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus, meaning we are to be gaining in godliness, and that has some impact in a few different areas of our life. First of all, we're to be glorifying God. As a believer tonight, as somebody that is saved by the, the blood of Jesus Christ, our job on earth is to be glorifying God. That is, we're to be projecting to a lost world an accurate opinion about who God is. That's what the word Glorify really means to project an opinion. And uh, just like the nation of Israel was uh, a role model, you might say, for the world to understand who the God of heaven was, we today as the church of Jesus Christ are that model. People should be able to, to look at our lives and it should project into their minds an accurate a, a picture of who God is. And here's why that's so important, I think. Because until somebody knows who God is, they'll never fear God. They won't be saved from their sin. The other thing, and we don't talk about this much in church, but we're to magnify the Lord. I think of Mary and uh, 
how she said that her soul doth magnify the Lord. Uh, we could ask the young people tonight, what would you use a magnifying glass for? You would use it so you could see something more clearly. All of us seniors have them, right? We get the mail, we get the magnifying glass out, and we start to look and see what the mail says. Because we can look through that magnifying glass, and we can see the mail more clearly. And the point that we're making tonight is this. People should be able to observe a Christian's life and see God more clearly. Man, that, that is a challenge to me. That I have that responsibility in this world. To glorify and to magnify the Lord. Well, the identifying characteristics that he lists here do not reflect godliness or the character of God. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's ungodliness. And that ungodliness in each one of these is about the behavior of men. He's talking about ungodly behavior. It isn't just what we believe that matters. How we behave also matters. Do you ever think of how important it is for you to set a good example to a lost and dying world? It's pretty important. Well, look at these characteristics. We'll just touch on each one. And, you know, if you were, uh, if you were examining your own life and there was a checkbox beside each of these, I wonder how many boxes we would check saying, yep, that's me. It looks like my life. Look at the first one there. It says, lovers of their own selves. That is, they love their own self. It's the me first type of selfishness. You know, there's, a, I think, a good indicator of the epidemic of this issue, and that is all the anxiety and depression that we see in the world today. The lack of empathy, the manipulation and deterioration of relationships, the materialism, we often talk about that, but uh, also the lack of generosity with material goods and uh, the lack of of uh, hospitality. Those things are all indicators that we love ourselves too much. You ever think of loving yourself too much? I mean, how, how can that be a bad thing, right? Well, you're not first on the list. That's the problem. God is first on the list. We're to love God, then we're to love others. The second thing he talks about is covetousness to be fond of money, or to be discontent because you don't have it. You'd be guilty of covetousness as well. Boasters, the idea there is a braggart or somebody that plays the game of one-upsmanship. Uh, the, the word proud simply means haughty or arrogant, kind of having your nose in the air. Blasphemers, that's having an impious or disrespectful attitude toward the person and things of God. Disobedient to parents. Ooh, I almost ought to skip this one, right? Disregard for their authority, instruction, the lack of appreciation for parents, bad relationship with parents. Those are all part of the description that he gives here. Unthankful, being ungrateful. Not saying thank you. 
I, you know, sometimes we have little pet peeves. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily preach a pet peeve, but this, this bothers me every time I hear it. We might be, let's say we're at a restaurant and uh, somebody brings us our food and we say, thank you. And they say, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Boy, if I thought I was going to be a problem, I wouldn't even have come in here. No problem. How about, hey, you're welcome. Glad to serve you. Wouldn't that sound a little better? It would also reveal a thankful heart. Unholy, that simply means wicked. And boy, there's plenty of that wickedness in our country today and in our world. Without natural affection, being hard-hearted toward kindred is the idea there. Truce breakers. Well, when I read this word first, I thought, truce breakers? I don't get that one. I mean, how many of you broke a truce this week? I mean, I think of a truce. I think of, you know, back in the days of the cavalry, and they made a truce with the Indians or whatever. But no, that's not what it means here. The word truce breakers means unwilling to commit. Ooh, boy, does that characterize our culture today unwilling to commit. Then he goes on and says false accusers or somebody that would use slander. We just came through a political campaign, political season, seen plenty of this. Uh, Incontinent, the idea there is without self-control. Or living sinfully without having shame would be a good illustration of that. Fierce, savage, Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I see an ad, uh, a commercial on television for MMA or one of the the fist-fighting things, I just think, how how beastly and how savage are we today? We think that that stuff is amusing and entertaining. Despisers of those that are good, that means to be hostile toward virtue. It's a threat to people that are wicked. And rarely does peer pressure... Seek holiness. Do you ever notice that? The peer pressure is always to do evil. And we despise those that do good. Traitors. That means to surrender to the other side. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Do you realize there is no neutral position when it comes to your faith in Christ? No neutral position. You're either with him or you're against him. He uses the word heady here, means to be falling forward, uh, to be pushing your own agenda is kind of the idea there. High-minded, to inflate with self-conceit. One of the verses I memorized early in my Christian life was Galatians 6.3. It says, for if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I hate to be deceived. And I really despise being deceived by me. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what it's saying there. He says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Fond of pleasure, making a value judgment where we choose personal pleasure over the things of God. Ooh, that one cuts right to the heart today, doesn't it? Having a form of godliness the idea there is there's just an empty shell. It's people with a hypocrite mask on, or they're pretenders in the faith. And then he says, but denying the power thereof. 
And that means to contradict what, what the power really is. It's to disavow or to reject the power. You know, the culture that we live in conditions us. Do you know that? I mean, it's so easy to become what everybody else is. And there's signs of it everywhere. Let me give you just a couple of examples tonight. Have you ever noticed how many people ascribe power to Mother Nature? It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. And it's not nice to fool yourself. And if you believe in Mother Nature, you're fooling yourself. But we give Mother Nature a lot of power. You know, Mother Nature came from Greek mythology, ascribing Mother Nature as the life giver. Hmm, that's blasphemous. <laughs> There's one that's uh, popular today. You're hearing this more and more frequently. Well, I, I, I'm going to trust the universe. You are? Uh, how so would somebody trust the universe? Let's see, what are we trusting the universe for? And the idea that they're trying to project is some universal, unidentifiable power. That reminds me of Acts chapter 17. All the wise men in Athens built an altar to the unknown God. <laughs> Paul said, hey, the, the God that you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And he told him, you can't make a God with your hands, and you can't combine a God, a confine a God to a little building. He's the creator and sustainer of the world. He's the life giver himself. But boy, there's a, there's a lot of things like that that begin to shape our own thinking. Now, I've been around the 12-step community for a long time because of my, my dad and my dad's work and then our family's business and a lot of talk about your higher power. Well, who is your higher power? How many higher powers are there? You know, it's interesting. Apostasy, we oftentimes relate apostasy to churches, right? People turn away from the original truth to something else. But apostasy happens in other organizations as well. You know, the Boy Scouts of America are not what they used to be. And the Girl Scouts aren't. 4-H isn't either. Alcoholics Anonymous isn't either. I've heard many people in Alcoholics Anonymous use this little phrase. The God of your understanding. Do you know the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does not use that phrase? It talks about God as you understand him. And the idea is a person is to come to God Almighty, no matter what your condition is, no matter what your belief is, no matter what your ability is, no matter where you are or who you are, whatever level of understanding you have of God, come to him that way. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you can select that piano to be your God and start worshiping the piano. But boy, our culture sure tries to shape the way we think, doesn't it? Romans chapter 1 talks about worshiping the creature more than the creator. We're seeing a lot of that today. The climate change religion that we hear so much about. Global warming. 
save the whales, save the polar bears, save the oceans. You know, at man's very best, he could be a good steward. But he cannot be the savior of any of those things. God is the power. The Bible talks about man having a seared conscience. How does that happen in our our day and age that we live in? How do people have their conscience so seared that they'll reject truth? Well, one of the tactics, I think, of the devil is called normalization. They'll say something or project something so often that we begin to think it's normal. Do you realize that homosexuality has been greatly normalized in our culture? And it has invaded HGTV, the Food Network, Hallmark, the game shows. You see it everywhere. And they just act like it's normal. It's not normal. It's a perversion of what the Creator intended. Perversions of God's intent in creation are an attack on Him and His power. God is the Creator. He's the designer. He's the owner. And the Bible tells us He is the sustainer of all things. And it also says that he is the one with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13, which we've heard recently from this pulpit. Our accountability is to this God who has all power. So the description of these people indicates that they had lost sight of God's purpose. But we also notice that they were living without God's power. Now, if he's talking about church people here, that's really a shame. Uh, To be living as a believer, not experiencing the power of God. Hmm, I hope that doesn't describe any of us in here for any sustained period of time. None of the behaviors listed here describes what the Holy Spirit produces. None of it. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are virtues that are present in a believer who is in fellowship with God and walking in the Spirit. Those fruits will be produced not by the person, but by the Holy Spirit, because we're in a right relationship with Him. And when the Spirit of God and and a person are in a right relationship, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is manifest. That's what the Bible teaches us. So what does it mean to be walking with the Lord? It means to be ordering your life with the truth by the Spirit of God. And the ungodly here, he says, are resisting the truth. They're rejecting the truth. There's a, a constant conflict between the truth of God's Word and what these people believe and behave like. In verse 8, it calls them men of corrupt minds. That simply means they're depraved, they're entirely spoiled. So many unspeakable behaviors in our culture today. Uh, I've, I've started to minimize 
my watching or searching for the news. It just, I can't handle some of it. I mean, I, I heard recently about the human traffickers. I've, I've known about human trafficking for a long time and how the, the traffickers traffic people and sell them into prostitution or into slavery. But just recently I heard about the, the cartels in Mexico hustling little kids across the border and occasionally taking some of those little kids, harvesting their organs and selling them on the black market. That's happening today in our world. That's evil. That is so wicked. And we've got elected leaders doing nothing about it. How pathetic. How It just turns my stomach to think, of somebody being able to do that. We see the drug dealers killing people for money. You know, this year, this last year, over 100,000 American people were killed by fentanyl. 100,000 people. You know what that would look like? Here's what it would look like. In the next four days, every living soul in Scott and Fayette County would die. Think about that. Man. That's happening today in our country, in our world. Hard to wrap your mind around that stuff. I read this week the World Health Organization publishes that more than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation in 30 countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, where that is regularly practiced. mostly carried out on girls between infancy and age 15. We live in a wicked world. We live in a perilous, perilous time. He says these people are reprobate concerning the faith. These are people that at one time said they had faith. At one time claimed to be a believer but there was never any proof or evidence. You know, we're not the judge of others, but we do observe their lives. And thus we can see or not see if there's fruit in their life or what the fruit of their life is. The fruit of a person's life in some ways is a window into their soul. We're not saved by works, but you can watch the works of somebody and have a good idea or not whether they're saved. You can't be the judge of it, but you can have an idea. The description that is given here indicate that these people have lost sight of God's purpose, they're living without God's power, and they're lacking persecution. Persecution is mentioned in verses 11 and 12 as being a common thing for a believer. 
you should ask yourself this question. If you're not experiencing some persecution of some sort, are you living godly? Wow, you say, Brother Duffy, that's hard. Well, standing for truth is not popular. And the only way you find that out is to stand for it. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And I'm not talking about in the foyer after the service tonight. I'm talking about in the factory out there, or the office, or the neighborhood, or at the city council meeting. Boy, when we take a stand for truth, it's not popular. You know what? Being confronted for wrongdoing is not persecution. Being confronted for righteousness is persecution. It makes me wonder sometimes if I'm on the offense or defense. If there's no opposition in my life, why not? I mean, I'm not a guy that enjoys fighting. But I do know this. When you confront people with the truth, it's uncomfortable for them. And oftentimes there's going to be pushback. And it can result in some significant persecution. When you think of how evil our culture is. Well, when you go out there holding the banner of truth up high, what's going to happen? In verse 13, he talks about how the, the culture and morality are in constant decline. You know what? We're not going to clean up the world. Don't expect a pure environment until you get to heaven. That's the first time you're, you're going to get to experience it. Utopia? That's a myth. And there have been many religions founded seeking it, and many political movements started trying to reach utopia. We need to face the reality. It isn't going to happen here because men are sinful. God has us here for a reason, though. You know, I remember my wife and I were at a uh, a table of a a family from Lebanon. They were members of a, a church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We were having lunch after a service, and the woman asked a question. She said, why why didn't God just save us and take us right to heaven? Wow, wouldn't that have been great? Oh, I believe. Boom, right into the presence of of the Lord. No more sin, sorrow, suffering, the pain. No, No more of that. It's all gone. But why are we here? We can't get more saved. We're saved. God's left us here to be a contrast between right and wrong. That's really why why we're here. We're a contrast. Israel was a contrast to the whole world between righteousness and sinfulness. We need to let God clean up our lives. So we can be that contrast. One of my favorite, and I use this a lot in in talking with other people, favorite passages in Scripture found in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says, You've not so learned Christ, if so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off the old man 
which was corrupt according to the deceitful lust, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. God is recreating us in righteousness and holiness. Why? So we can be that contrast. That's why. So we can glorify him and we can magnify him. That's why. The Apostle Paul challenged the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates or unproven or, or castaways is the idea there. What he was saying is if there's, if there's no evidence, perhaps you're not real. No, none of us are in here to judge each other's salvation. We can't do that. I can't see your heart, you can't see mine. You need to examine your own and make sure that you're saved. None of the characteristics that we've looked at in this list are unfamiliar with us or uncommon in our culture. The perilous time is upon us. But also in this chapter we see the provision of a godly example. Paul says to Timothy... But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came upon me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy knew the messenger. He knew Paul. He knew who he was following. Paul's life had been proven to Timothy. He saw evidence of Paul's salvation, and so he could follow him. It's interesting the list of words that Paul uses here. He says, Thou hast fully known. In other words, there was total transparency uh, of his life. He says, you've fully known my doctrine, that is what he taught, my manner of life, how he lived, my purpose or his motive, my faith, his authenticity, my long-suffering, how much forbearance and fortitude he showed, his charity, his love, his patience, uh, how he had been persecuted and afflicted in all the different places that he went and how he endured them because out of them God delivered him. You know, adversity and difficulty in our life is also known by God. And he'll deliver us out of it too, if that's his will. So Timothy knew the messenger. He was reminded of the deliverance of God. He was also warned of a coming persecution for living godly. Don't live with a false expectation. Your faith will be tested by the refining fire of persecution. Engagement will be met with resistance. Mark it down. Is that enough to scare you off? Ooh. That's a good question. 
How deep is that faith you have? And then he gives them an expectation moving forward. A culture in moral decline. It's going to get worse, folks. Yay! Right? <laughs> no. You know what we're supposed to be? Gospel tellers. We're not cultural makeover artists. We're gospel tellers. That's what our job is. So he says, the perilous time is upon us. And there's a provision for a godly example. I thank God that we have a godly example in our pastor. And there are other believers, other men and women and teenagers in this church that are setting that godly example. You know what? Others are watching. That's the significance of an example. Somebody else is watching it. Finally, we're given a profitable prescription. In verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. But continue is the prescription. Wow. That's it? <laughs> That's not rocket science, is it? I'm glad it's not rocket science because I'm not a rocket scientist. He says, continue. Don't waver or shrink. Don't draw back in light of the times. Each of these chapters I mentioned, it talks about people that drew back, people that resisted the truth, people that chose to go a different direction. Don't let your behavior be influenced by a corrupt culture. Continue to live the truth is the idea here. How can we stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free? A couple words I think are important. Conviction. Conviction. Be convinced of the authority of God's word and the application of truth in your life. You know what? It's for us. This is for us. This is not just an old history book. It's almost like God manufactured me one day and he said, Hey, don't forget to put an instruction book in the box. And then he gave me to my parents. That's kind of how I picture that. This is the instruction book for the way I'm supposed to be. So I must spend some time learning the truth. One of my favorite verses, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When a person connects what he has learned as faith with the reality of life, he has conviction. Oh, that, that applies to me. Uh, I like to ask people that, struggle with the Bible, don't, don't believe the Bible, I said, have you ever heard this little phrase? If you have, finish it for me. What goes around, where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. 
what goes around comes around. You see, the principle is visible out there in the world to everybody. They just haven't connected the fact that it's in the Bible. The principle's in the Bible, and God said it would be that way. And when somebody says, hey, that is the way it is, and it does say that in the Bible, and God is the author of that, that brings conviction. Man, that's why we need to be in the Bible. I, I think that one of the problems we have today is there's so many books written about Christianity that people spend all of their life learning what's written in those other books and they never read and understand the Bible. This is the preserved word of God, folks. Some good books out there, but this is the truth. This isn't some person not spirit-led opinion. This is, this is holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit that gave us this book. We must be able to identify the works of God so we can connect them to the word of God. That's when, that's when our faith really begins to get strong. And then the second word is courage. We need to have conviction to stand and we need to have courage to stand. Willful steadfastness. Being resolute, standing in the face of adversity or opposition. That takes guts. And if you try to get it yourself, you won't have it. That's why we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that power to give you the courage to stand. Consider with me for a minute God's intent for mankind. I, I've In several places in Scripture, I might put together a whole message on this, where we can just read one short passage and understand kind of the big picture of God's intent for mankind. Uh, we're, we're close to this passage. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look with me, beginning in verse number 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, here's why, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Isn't that a wonderful passage? It kind of encapsulates the whole thing. He wants us to live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Man, wouldn't that be wonderful? He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, to understand all that he's written in here. And I got to thinking about this. He begins this passage by saying he exhorts that, first of all, prayer, supplication, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. 
So there's an impact of authority that can bring about this quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I wonder how many teenagers pray for their parents so that teenager's life can be led as a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Man, that gets right to the where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? And be saved. And be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's intent for mankind. And we need to continue in our trust and our faith in this word. He says, continue thou. Then he goes on and he says to be confident in God's word. It's God breathed. It shows us what's right. It shows us what's wrong. It shows us how to fix it. And it shows us how to keep things fixed. We believed the Bible for our salvation. Now embrace it for our living is the idea here. We need God's word. I preached a a few years ago at our men's retreat, uh, just a a series on on the word itself. And uh, I've used this over and over since. We're to love God's word. That's a choice. How much of your life is driven by the principles that are found in God's word? Boy, there's a good question. Spend some time in Psalm 119. It's a psalm in the Word of God about the Word of God. Wonderful psalm. And it'll help you understand what God intends for His Word to do in your life. You've got to make the choice, though, to love it. Because you might love yourself more than loving the Word. And then we need to learn God's Word. That's a process. And how willing are we to let the Word change us? Change is hard, and and we resist it. That's what the Ephesians 4 chapter I mentioned is all about. We're to put away our old way of living and let the Word of God renew our mind, get our attitude and our understanding lined up with the truth, and then we need to put it on, like putting on clothing. We put on the Word. We put it to practice in our life. And that's the third thing, we live God's word. That's discipline. It's a daily battle. The external influences of our culture versus what we know to be right. We have to choose every day. Pastor mentioned the psalm this morning. I thought he was going to preach my message this morning. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And as a result, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. And whatever he does, he will prosper. Hey, do you believe that? Do you? Man, if we believe that, we couldn't get enough of this book. You know, when you study the Word, what you find out is this. The Word is our wisdom, it's our knowledge, and it's our resource, all for our benefit. Man, I'm for me. And so is is God's Word. We need to apply the truth to our life context. We can do that. 
God helps us do that. It's, it's him that gives us the wisdom to do that. We might know what it says, but do we know what it means in our life context? Or it's our understanding of the will of God. People say, I don't know what the will of God for my life is. How much time have you spent looking for it here in the Word? A lot of God's will is written for us right here. And we're waiting for some magical cloud experience to happen to find out what the will of God is. No, it's right here. It's right here. It's enablement or strength for us in our time of need. We're to love God, love others, grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and tell the gospel. That's our job. That's it, in a nutshell. Not very complicated. He says, continue thou, be confident, and be complete. In other words, get prepared to serve. This should be our expectation and desire. I remember hearing Tom Farrell, uh, Brother Tom's in heaven, probably listening to the sermon tonight. Uh, how many of you heard Tom Farrell when he's here at our church? Wasn't that a blessing? Brother Tom is such a, such a great preacher. I remember hearing him talk about this one time, and it just thrilled my soul. Our eternal work is going to be serving God. In Revelation 22, the, the scene is heaven. And as John writes, he said, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither lighten of the sun. Of the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Interesting, that word reign. It means to exercise the highest influence. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. As we serve the Lord, we will be exercising our highest influence. It comes through service. Serving others. So in summary tonight, Paul said there's a perilous time coming. It might be here now. It's a dangerous time for the believer. It's a difficult time and it can be a discouraging time. Men have lost sight of God's purpose for them. They're living life without the power of God present. They're void of persecution, being not only tolerated by, but embraced by the ungodly culture in which they live. But God provides an example for men to follow. The testimony of God's deliverance is an encouragement to embolden the believer. And he offers an expectation of a rocky stretch on the road to glory. It's, it's going to be rocky from here on out till we get to glory, folks. Romans 15, verse 4. I've, I've used the verse every time I preach from the Old Testament in this church. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Our hope is here. It's in the Word of God. But we're going to have a rocky trip on the way to glory. 
And then we see his profitable prescription. It's a simple one. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned. Don't waver or shrink in the face of adversity. Adversity will be fuel for your personal growth. Be confident. Love God's word. Learn God's word. Live God's word. It's to your profit. Be complete. Prepare to serve. Then serve the Lord with gladness. Paul tells Timothy to continue in the things that he has learned in chapter 4. He tells Timothy to preach the word. Endure infliction. Affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of his ministry. It is preparing you for an everlasting life of service in heaven, in the presence of the king. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage of scripture. Oh, it lays out some, some discouraging and frightful things for us. But there is hope in every chapter. And we love you for that. We thank you for that. We ask now, Lord, that you'd bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. With our heads bowed and eyes still closed, tonight we prepare for communion together. I'm mindful of the passage that Brother Mike just preached out of. In verse number 9, Paul says an interesting statement in face of those who would be ungodly, even if those ungodly folks have once trusted Christ. He says, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. You know, the flip side of that is when we are living a godly example, our faith is manifest to all men. When we come in a time of communion, as we do this evening, it's a time for us to reflect on the great joy we have because of the immense sacrifice Christ made. It is in communion and around the elements of the Lord's Supper that we come and consider the broken body and the shed blood for us personally. The passage we looked at this morning in the book of Hebrews, the most intimate of relationships that we have to him, the motivating factor, the devotion we have to God is because he shed his blood for us. That's what creates the intimate relationship. As we pray together, in just a moment, we'll take the elements. I encourage you to take these quiet moments to reflect on the faith you have in Jesus Christ, even in the face of these perilous times.